Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Oh, gee. Make some noise! In this episode of Inside Boxing Live, we take a look into the Canelo Alvarez PED saga with HBO's Jim Lampley and boxing scene's Keith Eidick. Will the fight go on? Is Canelo's legacy tainted like the meat he supposedly ate? We answer all those questions and more in this latest edition of Inside Boxing Live. Plus, we have a new Twitter hitters featuring some very angry boxers and an Anthony Joshua Joseph Parker preview. Let's go! Welcome into the latest episode of Inside Boxing Live. We're back in the studio. We were at uh, Jack Doyle's last week. Shout out to Jack Doyle's taking care of us. But we're back in the studio, ready to talk some boxing. Uh, you can, of course, download uh, this show on iTunes by searching Inside Boxing Live. Don't forget to leave us a uh, five-star rating and a review. Uh, OG Podcast also carries the, uh, this show, as well as Google Play. Anywhere you can get podcasts. Uh, you can listen to Inside Boxing Live, and you can watch us as well. We have a big show for you planned today. HBO Boxing's Jim Lampley, fresh from England. He called the uh, the brown-white fight. He will talk to us about everything that's going on with this Triple G Canelo saga. Of course, that's the biggest news in boxing. We'll talk uh, to Jim Lampley, get his thoughts on all that, as well as some of the other uh, major issues and storylines in the world of boxing. So you don't want to miss uh, Jim Lampley because he always brings it here on uh, Inside Boxing Live. As well as that, we'll talk to Keith Eidick, one of the best boxing reporters out there uh, from BoxingScene.com. He'll give us a little more clarification on the upcoming uh, ruling or the upcoming hearing uh, for uh, Canelo and also give us a little bit of a preview for Anthony Joshua versus uh, Joseph Parker because we've entered fight week for that. Wasn't exactly the most busy week weekend in boxing we had one major fight on on hbo and that was dillian white versus lucas brown over in england a lot of people wondered why hbo picked up this fight uh it was a one-off it was only a one fight you know they didn't even fly out uh jim they didn't even fly out uh roy jones or andre ward it was just jim and max which i kind of thought was a little refreshing just to hear from uh, those two guys but you know what we saw in the ring was dillian white absolutely destroy a washed uh, Lucas Brown, one of the craziest knockouts I've seen in a very long time. You know, Lucas Brown's eye was a mess from maybe the second round on. Completely cut, blood everywhere, you know, gauze everywhere. They had the Vaseline flying all over the ring. And he ends up getting brutally knocked out. And a lot of things went wrong here. His corner had to realize that he had nothing and maybe stop this fight. The referee, who was in a million miles away, I think he was outside the ring, having a, a hot dog at one point, he had to get closer into the action to realize that Lucas Brown had nothing and preemptively stopped this fight. When you have a corner that's too brave and you have a referee not doing his job, you get a boxer face-planted, unconscious, on the mat. Very scary moment, even for me who's watched a ton of fights. You know, I always get a little shaken up when I see a fighter get knocked out like that. He went down and he was slept. But, uh, you know, uh, Lucas Brown, he posted on Twitter that he is all right. 
I think Ricky Hatton uh, is part of his promotional team or has some type of involvement. He tweeted that he was, you know, they went to the hospital, of course, and uh, he was breathing, he was breathing on his own. He was upright. He was, he was fine. He said he's going to be back. He sent out a tweet too. But uh, so it's nice to see that he's fine and we can move on from uh, and talk about the fight and talk about what's next because Dillian White made a name for himself on HBO. He uh, had a spectacular knockout. He's a fighter that has fought Anthony Joshua once before and gave him a little bit of trouble. And he's a fighter that's going to be a B-side in this ever-evolving heavyweight uh, picture. You know, he could uh, be rumored to face Deontay Wilder. He could be rumored to face uh, Anthony Joshua once again. He could face Parker. He can face Jarrell Miller. So Dillian White uh, did a very good job for, uh, in the ring. He did a good job for himself moving forward because you have to figure that he's going to pick up some dates and uh, pick up some fights uh, in the very near future. But uh, we do have a fight week coming up. This is Anthony Joshua, Joseph Parker fight week. A uh, big fight in Cardiff, Wales on Showtime Boxing is going to air, I think, around the 5 o'clock hour. It's a unification bout. It's got a lot. I'm, I'm excited for this fight because uh, we're going to see Anthony Joshua in the ring with a fighter that's going to bring a fight to him. Or should he should. A little more than, than Carlos Takam. You know, take a look at the, the tail of the tape. Anthony Joshua, Joseph Parker, two undefeated guys, two very tall guys. You know, Anthony Joshua, 6'6". Parker, no slouch. But has a uh, two inches below him at six four. Um, you know, Joshua's knocked out everyone that he's fought, and you know these are two relatively young fighters, both under thirty years of age. Uh, and it's a unification belt. All the belts, or not all of them, but three of the four belts are on the line, and it's going to be a huge fight. And anytime Anthony Joshua fights, it's must-watch television for boxing fans. He's the face of the sport, and now he's even more the face of the sport. Everything that's gone on with Canelo. We'll get to that in a second. But anytime Anthony Joshua fights, you have to watch because you want to see how he's going to look. You want to see if he's improved. You want to see if he's no longer headhunting because, as we know, with Anthony Joshua in the heavyweight division, he throws about 80% of his punches go upstairs to the, to the head. So he is a headhunter. He's too muscular. You hear every criticism there is uh, for Anthony Joshua. So every time he fights and early on in his career, you want to see how he evolves, what he's done differently in training camp to get better. And, of course, we want to see how he looks because it's going to bang the drum for a fight with Deontay Wilder. And as we know, Deontay Wilder will be ringside. I think he's doing some commentating for Sky Sports. And uh, there was a discussion about whether he was going to get into the ring and do a stare down. Hearn and Joshua both do not want a stare down. And their reason behind that is because there's no fight scheduled. It, what are they staring down for what, really? I kind of tend to agree with the Hearn side of this. I want to see the stare down. I love drama and I love that type of stuff in the ring afterwards. But the reason that Klitschko came into the ring and stared down at Anthony Joshua when they did that was because they had a fight lined up. So they announced the fight. They had to stare down. It's It made more sense. But, you know, one thing we know about Deontay Wilder, the bronze bomber, is he'll likely to do anything. He's liable to do go to crazy. So we know how he's been, his behavior... Uh, it hasn't, you know, it's not disruptive, but we know he wants that fight more than anything. So maybe he will hop in the ring. Maybe we'll see some fireworks uh, come Saturday on, on Showtime. But, you know, as for the fight itself, you know, the technical aspects of it, Anthony Joshua is a guy who's outlanded his last six opponents two to one. So he's going to go in there. He's going to look to take out his guy. You know, he's methodical and he knows he can land. And we saw that uh, in Takam fight and we saw it with the Klitschko fight. As for Parker, you know, he fought Huey Fury in his last fight. It was an absolute stinker. 
Uh, Parker's a more technical guy. He's more, you know, he throws, he puts his jab out there. He throws his jab a lot. He's at the top of the heavyweight division in terms of activity with his jab. Doesn't really land it at a very high level. So he's going to come out there jabbing. He's going to come out there moving. He's going to try to keep Joshua off of him. And it's up to Joshua to close the distance and land some huge power shots as he's accustomed to. I'm pumped. I'm ready for this fight. I love the heavyweight division right now. And Showtime's doing a great job when it comes to these international broadcasts. But the biggest news in boxing this week, unfortunately, is more out-of-the-ring nonsense. And it comes from a fight that we thought would not provide us with too much out-of-the-ring nonsense. Their first fight, Triple G and Canelo, proved to be uh, very controversial when it comes to the judging how that fight played out, but the, the the promotion for it, there wasn't a lot of trash talk. There wasn't a lot of, you know, it wasn't like a Mayweather-McGregor where it was a three-ring circus. You know, each guy was, was, you know, McGregor was telling Mayweather he can't read. Mayweather's telling him, he, you know, some derogatory terms. It wasn't anything like that. These were two respectable guys. Their promotion was almost like the anti-Mayweather-McGregor. Uh, can't say that for the, the rematch here because now with Canelo's failed drug test for Clembruterol, which now has become a word in the boxing lexicon now. Everyone knows everything about clenbuterol. You know, if you had stock in clenbuterol, you know, three weeks ago, you're a rich man now because everyone's talking about it. Apparently, it makes you train faster, makes you cut weight, makes you breathe better. It makes you grow a giant lion's tame or horse mane that Canelo has on the top of his head. I actually saw a very funny uh, picture of a meme on uh, Instagram. It said... It said when the when the W when the WBC asked for the hair sample and it was a bald Canelo, <laughs> so uh, the, all the jokes are out there. But Canelo failed the test. He's been temporarily suspended. Uh, I don't know what that means, but April tenth we will have a hearing to figure out what's going on with this fight because it's legitimately in jeopardy right now. You know, Dan Raphael, ESPN tweeted out, I think it was yesterday, that just to show you how much this fight is in jeopardy, you know, the, the movie theater company that puts on uh, the closed circuit events has taken it off their website. So now the advertisers are starting to take it off the website. Dan Raphael, uh, being the top journalist that he is, also reached out to Ray Stallone, who is an HBO uh, PR spokesman, and he asked him, why wasn't the Triple G Canelo fight on the schedule during the brown-white telecast? And he said... Ray Salone said, uh, whenever a fighter gets suspended temporarily or whatever, we tend to side on, you know, we go with that side and we take it off. We take the promotional, you know, the, all the advertisements off just to be safe. So this fight, you know, it could potentially be off. A lot of people think that this is just a little slap on the wrist for Canelo. And what does, you know, what does being suspended for two weeks even mean when you're not fighting in two weeks? But, you know, a lot to be seen here. And I put together a little something here. I'm calling it the, the, the definitive Canelo Triple G timeline. There's nothing definitive about it because this is literally me off the top of my head trying to figure out everything that's gone on since this fight was announced on January 29th. The fight was announced January 29th uh, with The Rock on Instagram. Uh, a lot of hype around it. Everyone was excited because it was a fight that we all want to see again, a fight that we know that Triple G won the first time. You know, Some people think Canelo won, blah, 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 blah. Fight announced June tw uh, January 29th. Canelo says that we won't need judges in the rematch. That was like the first trash talk is, you know, we're not going to need judges. And both kind of sides were saying that, which was interesting because Canelo needed judges in the first one. And Triple G usually knocks everyone out. 
Moving on from that, Triple G then started to be a little more chirpier, started to talk a little more. He started using our stats at CompuBox saying, the computer shows. He kept saying this mythical computer shows that I beat Canelo. Look at the computer. A computer, like there's this, this, some computer that walks to ringside and just spouts out winners. But, you know, we'll take it. We appreciate the support, Triple G. But he says that the computer shows that I won. He landed, uh, he landed more punches. Think, uh, Canelo landed more power shots. Then Abel Sanchez, who is one to never uh, mince his words, says Canelo ran in the first fight. And these are all things we heard at that first press conference. Uh, so he says that Canelo ran. We all know that, that Abel Sanchez is trying to get under the skin of Canelo at this point to maybe lure him into a toe-to-toe battle, which Canelo is not going to do. One thing about Canelo is he knows what his style is, and he doesn't care. He's almost like Mayweather. He knows what his style is. He goes in there and knows how to win. He executes. So then March 5th comes. This is when, this is the Monday after the Wilder-Ortiz fight. Canelo tests positive for Clint Bruderall. Breaks the, the boxing Twitter. Everyone has the memes. Everyone's, you know, what the heck. Canelo's image forever tainted. Speaking of tainted, he blames it on tainted meat. And then we see that the WBC and the Nevada State Commission very quiet, saying that we're going to, you know, investigate this. We're not going to suspend him right away like we did for other fighters, like Luis Ortiz, completely outcasted once he, he tested positive. We're going to, you know, he's never failed a test before, very trace amounts, being very coy, nothing definitive about that. We're moving on here. Nick's giving me the finger here, not the middle finger, but he's telling me this. It's a long, it's a very long timeline here, Nick. Triple G claims, now Triple G remains skeptical, but on script saying he needs more details. So Triple G isn't exactly going rogue yet. But he's saying he's I think someone's in his ear. Someone's chirping at him like and you can feel that Triple G starting to get pissed off here. You know, I won the first fight. I've played ball my entire career. You know, I got to this point. Finally, I'm at the, the top here in boxing and I have this guy in Canelo who's cheating. That's when Canelo goes completely rogue. That's when he goes gloves off. He starts speaking in Russian. He starts calling Canelo an extra fighter. He says uh, that Canelo is on the meat. Everyone knows that Canelo is on the meat. I don't know what that means, but Triple G goes rogue. He even says that the judges are terrorists. <laughs> and that's when they got a little too far. That's when Triple G, like, you know, the judges, yes, you can say they're corrupt. You can say they're, they're not good at their jobs. They're not terrorists. But uh, Canelo then, uh, he also says Canelo took juice before the first fight. He has track marks. Nick, you have the pictures of, of the track marks because this is the picture that everyone is now looking at online. If you're listening on the podcast, I'll explain it to you. It's a very chiseled Canelo Alvarez, and this is right after their weigh-in for their first fight. There is a, looks like a nipple, like a third nipple on his, on his abs, and he's claiming that that's where the injections would be. And do you think Canelo is that stupid to just take steroids right there in his chest and have it be seen there? And there's also a video of him taking some type of vitamin or some type of pill at the weigh-in very quickly. Do you think he would just right out in the open just take a banned substance like that? Come on. I mean, this is just Twitter at its finest. But this is when the point where Triple G, completely rogue, he's calling out everyone. He's saying Canelo is a cheat. Oscar De La Hoya is a cheater. He does drugs, whether it's, you know, recreational drugs or drugs during his career. Triple G's going nuts at this point. Canelo responds with the lamest, you know, comeback of all time. He posts, like, I'm going to kick your ass on Snapchat, and everyone's just like, well, that's the best you can come up with. That's when the WB says that, um, you know, this isn't the Triple G we know. I think that the WBC started calling Mauricio Suleiman, called Triple G in his camp and said, what? you're making us look bad, number one. You need to calm down with the calling the uh, judges terrorists. You need to chill out with all the accusations. Pretty much, you know, stop making us look bad. And that's when you have to figure Triple G is like, no, 
you know, F that. You know, I'm the guy who's who's played ball my whole career. I've given you all these quotes for the American boxing fans. I've done everything in my career to get to this point. I fought you know, nobodies up until I was 30. I couldn't get a big television deal until HBO came in my early 30s. He's you can see that that Triple G is pissed off right now. And here we are today. Uh, March 23rd, Canelo suspended for two weeks. We'll have a hearing on uh, April 10th. So that's the timeline here. Get you caught up to speed on this saga now. This is complete saga. And I'm, what I'm trying to think is, what does this do for the promotion of this fight? There's certainly more chatter about it. I think that it's good. I think the fight will happen. That's my prediction. Is this fight is going to go on. Canelo uh, will, they will find out that it's just small traces of Glenn Bruderol, even if it wasn't. This fight is going to happen. There's too much money on the line. Triple G can say that, you know, I'll fight a, a, a Charlo, a Jacobs, or, or Saunders instead. He's not going to do that. He wants this fight. As I said, he's gone through so much in his career to get to this point. Let him kind of spout off a little bit, get the fight. More, you know, coverage of it, more speculation, more eyeballs are on, the, on this promotion now. We'll see this fight happen May 5th, and it might do an even bigger number uh, than the original one. We are going to talk to Jim Lampley coming up, HBO's Jim Lampley, about this whole saga. He has good information on it. He talks to the camps. We'll see what he has to say. We'll also talk to boxing scenes' Keith Eidick. We'll get a reporter's view on this. We'll get someone that isn't aligned with the network uh, talking about this. He might give us uh, some more information on this. But we have a lot to get to here on Inside Boxing Live. Jim Lampley, Keith Eidick, a brand-new Twitter hitters featuring... Uh, the 45th president of the United States, as well as Javante Davis, making some crazy claims. That one you don't want to miss. And, of course, we have our, in case you missed it, getting you caught up to speed. Inside Boxing, we're moving on here with Jim Lampley. Our next guest here on Inside Boxing Live has been the voice of HBO Boxing for more than 30 years. He's also the host of The Fight Game on HBO. He's the great Jim Lampley. Before we get to Jim, I have to tell you about Jack Doyle's Restaurant and Bar located on 35th Street and 7th Avenue in the heart of Manhattan, just a few steps away uh, from uh, Madison Square Garden. It's a great bar to watch a game. It's a great bar to watch a fight. There's two floors. There's multiple drink specials. They got trivia night, a great staff. Go check out Jack Doyle's. Tell them that the Inside Boxing Live guys uh, sent you. And with that, we'll talk here with uh, Jim Lampley. Jim, I appreciate you taking this call. I know you were traveling back from England from the the, uh, Dillian White-Lucas Brown fight. Thank you for joining us here on Inside Boxing Live. Uh, good to be with you, and uh, yes, tr- uh, long trip back yesterday, so I, uh, I'm i a little bit out of the loop just by virtue of having been in the arena and on planes much of the time since uh, this latest news broke with regard to what's happening in Las Vegas. What's, oh, with Canelo, right? Yes. That's what you're talking about? Yeah, I want to talk about, uh, we'll talk about Canelo now that you brought it up, and uh... I know you're out of the loop, and but we do know that there's a hearing April 10th, and we'll get to the bottom of everything that's going on with that. And and what do you just make of this whole saga? Uh, I mean, we you say you don't know exactly what's going on, but we know like the broad strokes of it. What do you? Uh, how do you just bring in this whole saga here between everything that's happening with Canelo Alvarez? Well, obviously, um, you know, boxing is a global entrepreneurial sport with countless events taking place in countless different venues. And it's very difficult uh, within that scenario to uh, effectively police the use of performance enhancing drugs at all levels. And then when you figure in this question of 
uh, meat contamination, which is acknowledged to have taken place at some times in the past in Mexico. And the fact that Canelo is a Mexican fighter who lives a significant portion of the year in Mexico and who trains there as well as other locations, including here in the United States, then there are a lot of variables and uh, a lot of possibilities ranging from extreme carelessness uh, or uh, malicious intent at one edge of the scale to uh, complete uh, accident and, uh, you know, unpreventable uh, variation at the other end of the scale and anything from one range uh, to the other is possible. So obviously this is up to uh, competent testing and careful authority and uh, a recognition that at the highest level of the sport, you have the highest level of responsibility uh, to be right. So it's, it's a, a um, it's a terrible negative for the sport and for the fight that this has taken place at this time. It's up to the Nevada State Athletic Commission and the authorities with which it works to try to govern this, including the governing body, including VADA, the testing service, to make the most accurate determination possible as to exactly what it is that's gone on. You suspect that at the end of the day, uh, Triple G is going to have a difficult decision to make with regard to how to proceed. Uh, it would appear that one possibility would be that the fight goes on as scheduled, depending on what happens at the hearing April 10 in Las Vegas. Another possibility is that the fight comes down because a determination has been made that uh, a violation has taken place that warrants uh, the postponement or the cancellation of the fight. Uh, it's conceivable to me that Gennady Golovkin will fight somebody else on May 5. It's conceivable to me that nobody fights on May 5. So, you know, I think we just don't know. Uh, and probably we don't know anything more concretely until April 10, when the commission makes clear exactly why it is that Canelo is being called in. Did they get uh, other evidence that doesn't square with what media have reported about the contours of the initial tests and the question of exactly how positive was this positive test, or do they have no more information and they're simply seeking uh, a face-to-face -face so that he can clarify to them uh, in front of their very eyes exactly what it is that he and the people around him are saying about this? I don't know. Uh, and, and I'm not sure that we're going to find out exactly why they're calling him in prior to April 10th, but uh, it's likely it to me, at least, that only at that point do we learn enough to know whether this fight goes forward or not. Yeah, it's a lot of speculation, and, I mean, you did a great job of kind of going through all the scenarios here, but one thing we can do is, is talk about the, you know, the hit that it takes to, to Canelo. I mean, he's a guy that uh, his, has started to get a lot of enemies in this sport, whether it's uh, the fans or it's uh, maybe some of the media. But do you think that Canelo can uh, recover from this? What do you think it does to his 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 short-term legacy, his long-term legacy? And do you think he can recover uh, from something like this? Because he is a very young fighter. Well, he's he can recover, and there's a long time left to go. And other fighters have, have run afoul of various... Uh, 
kinds of legal and ethical problems without having lost their careers. But I will say that uh, I have been a defender and an advocate. I've said a lot of nice things about him. One of the things that I've said about him habitually is that he was smart and level-headed and uh, seemed to have a tremendously strong sense of how to run his career. I compared him to Golovkin in that regard, somebody who obviously uh, seemed to have the professional standards necessary to behave at a responsible level and be a credit to the sport while performing tremendously well in the ring. And uh, I can't say for sure now that I'm still committed to all those evaluations with regard to Canelo, because uh, whether this is accidental or whether it was on purpose, it's, it's not bright when you're in that position to have somehow been exposed to this kind of discrepancy. And, um, you know, uh, I have friends who say, oh, what the heck, you know, he stopped by a taco stand and ate a taco because he was hungry. Well, I'm sorry, he doesn't have that freedom. Uh, he is a bulwark for boxing. He is arguably uh, the most economic high-impact fighter in the world or one of the two most uh, high-impact economic fighters in the world. The, the biggest economic entity in the sport is either him or Joshua. Take your pick. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so both of them carry the responsibility of being flagships for boxing, and, and this is not the way to do it. Uh, you know, you, if, if you're a, a moderately well-known Mexican fighter like Francisco Vargas, it's one thing. This is Canelo Alvarez, and and he had, as far as I was concerned, a a very real and large responsibility to behave in only the best and most representative ways. And everybody in Mexico involved in organized sport knows that there's a history of this. So be careful, uh, particularly if you have a home and a training facility in San Diego, California, where it doesn't seem to be a problem. Why not be there? Uh, at the end of the day, I'm I'm disappointed uh, for him and his people, and I'm disappointed by them because I would not have expected this coming from Canelo Alvarez. You know, I've spoke to a lot of fighters. I know you obviously speak to a lot of fighters on, on a weekly basis. We had Mick Conlin on our last show, and he said something to the same effect that you just said, where, you know, I put I know every single thing I put into my body, and you hear that a lot of athletes say that. And he said, Canelo, you're getting ten, fifteen million per fight. You have to. You know, you have to have the best uh, nutritionist. I'm not saying that he doesn't, but you have to be a lot more careful, as you just illustrated. But on the other the side of the coin here is Triple G. He's a guy that you've become to know very well over the last uh, five to seven years or however long he's been featured uh, on HBO Boxing. And we're seeing a new Triple G here. We're seeing a more outspoken Triple G. We're seeing a frustrated uh, Triple G in terms of some of the comments uh, or out-of-character comments that he's made lately. What do you make of this new, outspoken Gennady Golovkin? Well, uh, I think he uh, did a good job of biting his lip and and uh, refusing to fire off accusations in a variety of directions after the result of the first fight uh, was disappointing to him and highly controversial with the boxing public. There was an invitation for him there to do what others have done in the past to say, this is cheating. Uh, somebody was bought and paid for. Obviously, uh, I was uh, chipped out of a victory in the fight. Uh, and he didn't go that far. He, you know, he did not uh, issue blanket 
accusations regarding the Adelaide Bird scorecard. He showed his disappointment, but he he didn't go uh, over the top in terms of responding to what happened in Las Vegas. If you know him privately, you know how disappointed he was, and you know how uh, upset he felt about the, the scorecards in the first fight because he was pretty certain that he was the clear winner uh, of the fight. But, you know, you run into this kind of problem when you don't knock everybody out, and his 23 knockout streak ended, and that put him in a a different world where he has to deal with the same kind of vagaries that other people have experienced with regard to boxing judging. But again, he, he kept himself under control. He uh, pursued the the business of getting the rematch. He stood on stages with Canelo. He cooperated with Canelo. He's been uh, a friendly, supportive business partner with Canelo all this time. And now this happens. Uh, so I'm not terribly surprised to another level of indignation and expressed himself in a more aggressive way uh, than he has in the past. Some of that may be blowing off steam. Some of it may be strategic to, you know, put Canelo on the defensive uh, because let's face it, the more Canelo has to worry about going off uh, into the fight, the better it is for Triple G. Mm -hmm. And uh, now that Canelo has left himself open to criticism and accusation as the result of this mistake, if in fact it's a mistake, then it's open season. And I don't blame Gennady for uh, taking the opportunity to try to put Canelo even more on the defensive and give him uh, more to worry about. Any fighter would do that uh, under these circumstances. But there's a danger, of course, uh, if Triple G flies off the handle and starts making accusations he can't support or saying things that he does not know to, to be factually true. There's an interesting irony here when you look at the 60-year history of uh, general public understanding of performance enhancement, the use of performance-enhancing substances in sports, the genesis of the story that we sort of began looking at during uh, the 1970s Olympics experiences with guys like Lasse Viren and uh, the East German swim team. And we first began to recognize that there might be organized doping going on, et cetera, et cetera. Always, always for decades, uh, the martyrs were athletes from Western cultures who were having to compete against supposedly uh, scientifically enhanced uh, and therefore more sinister athletes from Eastern Europe. You know, the Eastern European athlete has never traditionally been the martyr in this scenario. The athlete from the Western culture usually has. Now, in this instance, yeah. we have an athlete from our continent who is uh, under the light of uh, potential accusation and suspicion regarding his behavior. And the martyr is the guy from Kazakhstan <laughs> who, who has, you know, who has tested uh, negatively all along, who has uh, cooperated with boxing authorities, who probably understands enough to know that as an athlete with an Eastern Euro European background, he's automatically under a different kind of suspicion than athletes from most other cultures. And now Gennady's the good guy. Uh, and, uh, and he recognizes that. And uh, so, you know, I, I'm not terribly surprised that he's become more verbally aggressive. I can't say I blame him for it. And I'm, I'm sure at the end of the day, uh, he's hoping for the largest economic event possible. And the largest economic event possible for him is a rematch with Canelo Alvarez. Yeah, that's why I think this fight gets, ultimately, it happens because of the money, because money talks. And uh, you talk about 
the fact that you know this is a little bit of a black eye for boxing, but also on the flip side, you feel like it's got a little more juice into the promotion, albeit it's behind the backdrop of a failed drug test, but more people are talking about it. I think it's ultimately going to help the promotion. I think the, the fight is going to do uh, huge business. And another fight that's going to do big business is the heavyweights. We're going to see Joshua and Parker this Saturday. Uh, Anthony Joshua, like you said, uh, the face of boxing, or certainly in the top two with, with Canelo, however you have it. Going up against Joseph Parker, quickly, your thoughts on uh, Anthony Joshua and uh, this unification bout. Well, and uh, you know, uh, way more attention has been paid to Joshua than to Joseph Parker. So uh, there may be a tendency in some circles to see this as a uh, perfunctory assignment for Joshua. It's not. Obviously, Parker is one of the most talented people in the division. He has footwork. He has hand speed. He has craft. Uh, he's the kind of guy who could, uh, particularly with his high body punching content, uh, present a different picture to Joshua than, than he's seen before and give him some trouble. The other guy with a high level of body content in his uh, attack in the offensive division is Dillian White. Dillian White, uh, as you saw the other night, is still a live entity. And a couple of years ago, he uh, stunned Joshua mm -hmm. with a counter left hook uh, in the second round that was partially set up by body punching. So there's a template there uh, for what Joseph Martin will probably try to get done against Joshua, but you're looking at a 78,000-person crowd in Wales. 99% uh, of them will be rooting for AJ. Uh, he is obviously a tremendously powerful puncher. Uh, he has the confidence now of having defeated Vladimir Klitschko and stamped himself as the man. Um, I, I'm surprised if Parker is able to upend that freight train I suppose that Joshua probably gets another impressive victory and further stamps himself as uh, the biggest thing in boxing, certainly the biggest thing in the heavyweight division. We continue to wait to see whether steps will be taken toward a fight between Joshua and Deontay Wilder if he's successful this coming weekend. Now, Jim, i got to ask you this. Uh, many people wondered, why did HBO pick up a Dillian White versus a, a Lucas Brown fight? It is, is it because they want to get their fan base and their subscribers more in tune with the heavyweight division and what's going on there? Another thing is that Anthony Joshua supposedly has a hold on Barclays Center for late summer against a Jarrell Miller. We've seen Jarrell Miller fight his last two fights on HBO. You put together all those dots and you take a look at all the, the rumors out there, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that potentially Anthony Joshua could move over to HBO onto your network. Do you have any thoughts on potentially seeing Anthony Joshua, uh, the next HBO superstar? Every network that televises boxing anywhere on the planet uh, has reason to want to be in the Anthony Joshua picture. You know, his, his uh, home television situation at Sky TV is well-established. And uh, so when when we look at television networks in the United States or elsewhere, we're talking about extra money for Anthony. This is not the heart of the financial pipeline for him. Uh, and uh, and yes, uh, according to what I have heard, uh, and I'm not a uh, uh, negotiating executive, but according to what I've heard, he will have the option to consider other television vendors aside from the ones he's been using um, after the Parker fight. So uh, Eddie, Eddie Hearn is, for the moment, 
Anthony Joshua's promoter. Apparently, mm-hmm. that could could be subject to change also. But for the moment, Eddie Hearn is is Joshua's promoter, and Eddie Hearn is a promoter with whom we have a very friendly relationship at HBO. Uh, we uh, have an exclusive contract with Daniel Jacobs, whom Eddie Hearn promotes. Uh, we have been doing other Eddie Hearn uh, promoted fights, including a Jarrell Miller appearance on uh, the undercard of the Daniel Jacobs fight that took place at the Nassau Coliseum in uh, November. So we have a history with uh, Big Baby uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, you know, obviously these these are entities with whom we've done some business and with whom, with whom we would like to do some more. Now, Jim, before we let you go, uh, we're going to see a lot more action in the second half on HBO. Last year, we saw a flurry of fights made in the second half. Is that something uh, we can be in store? I know you say you're not a, an executive, but you're a guy that's in the know over at HBO. What's in store, do you think, for the second half for HBO? Well, big fights. Uh, you know, we're we're obviously at this moment, you, you've uh, isolated the two situations where we're poised to try to move forward. Mm-hmm. We're poised to try to move forward with Canelo Triple G and... Uh, both the winner and the loser of that fight remain highly marketable entities going toward the second half of the year in 2019. Uh, we're involved in the heavyweight division, have an increasing foothold uh, in the division. I thought Dillian White looked good the other night and might merit uh, another title shot assignment somewhere down the road. And uh, as you point out, everybody in the world is interested in Anthony Joshua. Certainly Wilder is not any less interesting after his win over Ortiz he's he's more so so that division is red hot and I think we'll try to stay involved there those you know those are two situations that you've effectively pointed out that could be continued business for HBO in 2018 and and beyond that you know it's a constantly fluid sport with a changing landscape we've got Daniel Jacobs coming up on April 28 if he comes up with a big performance there that could affect the middleweight picture going forward as well. Jim, it's always great talking to you. Thank you for joining us. My privilege. Thanks very much. All right, a lot going on in the world of boxing. I'm going to get you all caught up with, in case you missed it, uh, we'll start off with the middleweight division, which is a carousel at the moment. Uh, Billy Joe Saunders pulled out of his fight on April 21st with uh, Martin Murray due to a hand injury. He has the Terrence Crawford hand injury. We don't know. If it really is a hand injury or the fact that now this Canelo Triple G fight is in jeopardy, Billy Joe Saunders clearly wants the Golovkin fight. He's come on this show. He declared Gennady Golovkin public enemy number one. You know, you're hearing his camp say he really is injured and he can't fight until June. And you have Golovkin's camp saying, hey, if Canelo, this doesn't work out and this Canelo fight is off, he gets suspended. You know, we want Billy Joe Saunders. He has a belt. uh, It's pretty clear that Triple G wants all the belts. So it's a little fishy. You never know with these with these hand injuries, and it always seems to be a hand injury when uh, these guys get hurt in camp. You know, we saw it with Sergey Lipinets, and now we're seeing it. Well, we saw it with, with Terrence Crawford. We'll get to that in a little bit. But needless to say, Billy Joe Saunders is will not be fighting April 21st against Martin Murray. Maybe we'll see him against Golovkin down the road. I think a lot of fans would like to see that too, because then Triple G picks up uh, another belt. Moving on here, in case you missed it, Mikey Garcia. He will be holding on to his 140-pound belt. He also has a belt at 135. He's the uh, other champ champ. Uh, there's Conor McGregor and there's Mikey Garcia. So at 140, uh, Garcia's going to hold on to that belt. He could have went down to 135 and had a, a unification bout with Linares. But as we know, Linares is going to fight uh, Lomachenko May 12th. So Mikey Garcia take a, took a look at the landscape. That's something that he likes to do. He likes to hop up. 
135. He said he'll also fight at 147. Uh, so Mikey Garcia is a, is a very uh, he's got a lot of goals in the boxing world, but he's going to stay at 140. It's pretty interesting because he's not going to go up against the seven foot Robert Easter, uh, the seven foot 140 pound man that is Robert Easter. Uh, but it looks like he'll be taking on Ivan Baranchik, who is 18 and 0 with 11 KOs. That's who the WBC is ordering him to fight. So uh, it looks like we'll see Mikey Garcia stay at 140 for the time being until uh, he makes a ridiculous claim. Uh, once again, uh, moving on. Did you see this? Lennox Lewis <laughs> took aim at Showtime. He woke up on the wrong side of the bed. He saw that Showtime was using uh, part of their promotional pitch for this upcoming Joshua fight was to say that Joshua could become the last undisputed heavyweight champion since Mike Tyson. And I'll tell you what, Lennox Lewis was not having any of that because, uh, as we know, Lennox Lewis did have all three belts in the late 90s, early 2000s, but he did not have the WBO belt because at the time the WBO was not, didn't have the the luster, it didn't have the distinction in the boxing world. So Lennox Lewis, you know, he was the undisputed champion at one point. The WBO was not recognized as what it is today. But Showtime, on the other hand, they they wanted to, to promote this fight, and Lennox Lewis claims that they are using that as a promotional ploy to you know pump up this 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 Joshua fight. You know, a lot of people on, on Twitter sided with Showtime because they feel like, and I'm sorry, they sided with Lennox Lewis because they felt like, yes, the WBO was not was not a, a known entity back then. So Lennox Lewis was widely regarded as the undisputed champion at that time. But I guess fans and, and everyone on Twitter was tired of the Canelo talk, so they, they all <laughs> uh, started their, their claims here at, at Showtime because I'm telling you, Lennox Lewis, he must have fired off about seven tweets. He just would not let it go. Every single tweet had at Showtime Boxing on it, which made Showtime Boxing respond and said, we stand by our research staff. You know, it just, it just went on and on and on all day long, and it seems like it, it cooled down. But uh, you don't want to piss off Lennox Lewis. Uh, moving on here, in case you missed it, Cro uh, Crawford versus Terrence. Well, really, really destroy that one. Terrence Crawford versus Jeff Horn was rescheduled for June 9th. And uh, we knew that uh, Terrence Crawford had a hand injury. Hand injury. Uh, put that in air quotes because, you know, there's a lot of speculation out there, of course, on, on the boxing Twitterverse that Terrence Crawford did not have a hand injury and the fight was, wasn't selling as well. It's one theory out there. Uh, but we have June 9th as the new date. Of course, that's going to go up against Showtime's uh, fight that night between Santa Cruz and Maris at the Staples Center. Boxing in a nutshell, we have two fights going up against each other. Of course, that's going to be the case. But the thing with this fight is it could potentially be streamed on the ESPN app. Uh, their new president, ESPN's new president, came forward and said, we're going to start putting more boxing on the ESPN app. And now this app is something that you're going to have to pay for additionally uh, on your cable bill. Or in addition to your cable bill, you're going to have this app for maybe $5 a month, and they're going to put premium fights on it. You know, I consider Terrence Crawford, Jeff Horn, a premium fight. So I don't know how boxing fans are going to react to this. You know, we pay exorbitant cable prices as it is to get ESPN and I think a lot of boxing fans are happy that big time boxing is on ESPN now and off of it's it's transitioning away from HBO or other outlets Showtime and HBO and we're seeing boxing on ESPN so now you're telling me in addition to that we're gonna have to pay a five dollars on top of it to see Terrence Crawford against Jeff Horn 
I don't know how that's going to sell. I don't know how they're going to sell that, but you know, they have to make up this money somehow. It's it's equivalent to a very low price pay-per-view, you know. So if you look at it that way, you were going to pay if if this fight was on HBO maybe and they put it on pay-per-view, you would have paid maybe $50, $60 to see a Crawford versus Horn. Potentially you can pay 5 bucks. I'm sure they're going to have, you know, a full library of fights and and a little more bells and whistles to make it more accommodating. But Terence Crawford, Jeff Horn, June 9th, it's either going to be on ESPN or it's going to be on that ESPN app that I just talked about. Speaking of Top Rank and Bob Arum, this is interesting news here. Bob Arum has had discussions with Heyman fighters about them joining Top Rank. This came out of, pretty much came out of nowhere. So apparently Bob Arum has been dialing up some uh, Heyman fighters. And as we know it, Al Heyman, he's not a, a promoter. He's just a manager. So... You know, a lot of his fighters are promotional free agents. They work with the, the Lou DiBellas. They work with the Goosens. They work with a ton of different promotional uh, outlets uh, wherever, wherever the fight is located uh, that month or wherever. So Bob Arum, he wants to uh, broaden his horizons at ESPN. He realizes that he can't have top-ranked fighters strictly fighting top-ranked fighters. So he has to make good on this deal with ESPN. So why not call up some Heyman fighters? You know, why not get them under the top rank umbrella? Because you've got to figure some of these uh, these guys signed by Heyman and the PBC are a little unhappy with the lack of dates and fighting once a year. And everything we've heard from Bob Arum is if you are a significant fighter, he said this last week, if you are a fighter that has some skills and has a fan base, you will fight three times. And most likely you're going to fight three times on ESPN and get a ton of eyeballs. More top rank Bob Arum news comes from Manny Pacquiao. Manny Pacquiao's rep who Manny Pacquiao we know has about 15 different reps. Is it Michael Kahn's? Is it his brother? Is it one of his 40 uh, entourage members in the background? Who knows? But Pacquiao claims that he's no longer on the top rank uh, contract anymore. His top rank contract has expired. I feel like he's been signed to top rank for the last 30 years. But uh, he says that it's done. Bob Arum says not so fast. <laughs> I would put my money on Bob Arum having some type of contractual uh, sealed deal with Pacquiao for the rest of his life. So it's, this is interesting to see as Pacquiao clearly did not like the idea of fighting on the same card as uh, Crawford and Horn on the undercard or fighting in, in the States with all his IRS problems. He's clearly going to be a fighter that is going to fight for the highest bidder. Now, it used to be Dubai, it used to be China used to be that whole market in, in the, over there in the Far East, but now it's shifting to Malaysia. We've heard that he's going to fight uh, Lucas Matisse in Malaysia. Now they're drawing up all the money, so Aaron kind of rolling his eyes. You know, he's not really in a big-time rush to get this. You know, it's not one of his main priorities anymore, uh, Manny Pacquiao. So it's interesting to see how that all plays out because if, if Manny Pacquiao is a free agent, that is very interesting because, you know, Manny Pacquiao will fight for the highest bidder. So he can fight potentially fight some non-top-ranked guys, or, or I mean, Matisse isn't a top-ranked guy, but you know, it would be interesting to see Pacquiao in this state of his career fighting some interesting matchups instead of some of these recycled names uh, we'd be hearing here. But finally, here on in case you missed it, wrapping up this segment is uh, Eddie Hearn. Uh, we saw Eddie Hearn this weekend. His guy Dillian White absolutely destroyed Lucas uh, Brown, but he says that Wilder may have no choice but to fight Dillian White. Because, number one, the WBC might order it. And and number two, it might be the highest pay, uh, payday of Wilder's career. Like, I'm pretty sure Wilder gets maybe two to three million. That's completely just a guess. Two to three million to fight on this current PBC contract that he's in. 
If you fight Steely in white, I know Hearn wants to up the offer. Maybe four to five million over in the O2 Arena in June. Maybe uh, you know Deontay Wilder bites at that because it maybe gets him that a little bit closer to the Joshua fight. But you know Eddie Hearn. One thing we're learning about Eddie Hearn as he becomes more of a focal point here in U.S. boxing is how he operates. You know he's just like a Bob Arum. He's just like Oscar De La Hoya. All these promoters are exactly the same. They tell you one thing one week what you want to hear. Last week it was all Wilder Joshua. I'm gonna have to make this fight now. And because that's what the fans wanted. Now we see Dillian White with a huge knockout, kind of changes his tune a little bit, uses a little bit of leverage. So, you know, Eddie Hearn up to the same old tricks, but we'll keep our eye on uh, this Wilder Joshua Dillian White talk uh, here on uh, Inside Boxing Live when we talk to Jim Lampley and uh, Keith Eidick later on the show. But that's it for in case you missed it. A lot of news and notes. We always get you caught up here on Inside Boxing Live. Right, joining us now on Inside Boxing Live is uh, Keith Eidick from Boxing Scene. Before we get to Keith Eidick, I have to tell you about Jack Doyle's restaurant and bar. Jack Doyle's is located a few steps away from Madison Square Garden. We did our last show from there. They have a great staff. They have great drink specials. Uh, they have trivia night. They also are a w WVU bar. Uh, fortunately, West Virginia lost uh, to Villanova, so uh, a lot of sad Mountaineer fans there. But go check out Jack Doyle's. They have uh, great drink specials, as I said. And it's a great place to watch a game. TV's everywhere. It's a giant bar, two floors. Uh, Brendan and his staff uh, will take care of you. And with that, we'll uh, bring in uh, Keith Eidick, uh boxing scene. Keith, excited to get you on the show. How you doing, my man? Good, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Now we got to talk about the, the biggest saga right now in boxing. It's Triple G and it's Canelo. Uh, the latest is an April 10th hearing. Uh, triple uh, Canelo is suspended, temporarily suspended. I'm doing air quotes. And uh, the latest, that's the latest. What exactly is going to be discussed uh, at this hearing as far as you know? Well, I think the validity of his excuse will be discussed at the meeting and whether they buy it or not. My best guess is that they will because there's a history of Mexican fighters testing positive for clenbuterol and using contaminated meat in Mexico, which is actually a problem in that country. As a as a plausible excuse, and it's been accepted in the past, and I expect that it'll be accepted again. What's, it was accepted for Morales, correct? Morales and Francisco Vargas, also, yeah. I'm trying to think about like some precedent for this. Like everyone wants to bring up Tyson Lewis as well. Obviously, that wasn't about failed drug tests, but that was just about Mike Tyson being a liability. But that was a hearing where ultimately Vegas was like, you know what, we don't even want to touch this fight. Do you think I'm jumping around here? But do you think there is a, a chance? that the Vegas commission says we deem that Canelo, you know, had higher levels than uh, he reported. We're not putting this fight on. And then maybe it ends up in another city. I don't think so, Dan, only because the other side of it wants the fight to happen more than anything. You know, Gennady Golovkin has been very critical of Canelo Alvarez over the last week or so, especially, but he wants the fight to move forward. I think there's too much money involved for them to cancel the fight, particularly only three and a half weeks in advance of the fight schedule, you know, the scheduled date for the fight. I just don't see it happening at, at that point. And remember, too, you know, the Tyson thing, you know, Tyson was a very different case here than Canelo. While PEDs is a very, very serious and dangerous issue in boxing, you're talking about a convicted rapist and a guy who, you know, I don't know whether he did it or not. I'm not pretending to know what's in his system and what isn't. You know, there have been concerns about a variety of boxers, including Canelo, being, uh, you know, using performance-enhancing drugs. But uh, his excuse, again, is a plausible one, and I think that's the way that the Vegas Commission will view it, particularly because they'll have experts uh, 
seconding what Canelo is saying happened. And I think they'll move forward with the fight for those reasons. I just think there's too much money involved more than anything to cancel the fight or postpone the fight at that point. Well, I, I agree with you. I think the fight will go on. Um, like you said, the money is, is trumps all here. And I think it will go on. But what exactly are they looking for? Like, I know that Kellerman said this. Um, I don't know if it was on the HBL telecast this weekend or on First Take or wherever he is uh, tweeted about or something. He said they're going to take a look at the levels of the Clint Brutal because he says it's, you know, Canelo says it's remote traces. And we heard that the Nevada State Commission president, uh, Bob Bennett, had an interview with Canelo, and he must have came away thinking that, you know, this was trace amounts. Do you think it was like the the public putting more scrutiny? Do you think it was Triple G putting more scrutiny? You know, why are we seeing this this hearing happen? And is it, or is this just lip service? Well, Dan, you know, it's a government agency, so they have to dot all of their I's and cross all of their T's moving forward because there's a lot of liability involved if they regulate the fight and then something happens where, God forbid, Gennady Golovkin got hurt and then it comes to light that Canelo Alvarez was dirty. They have to do all of their due diligence here moving forward. And, you know, some people perceive it as a dog and pony show that's just really, you know, going through the motions to show that they did the right thing. And I could see why people feel that way. Uh, but they have to, again, do their, all their due diligence because there's a lot of liability involved for the state of Nevada here. So they really have to do it the right way. They have to have this hearing. Um, and, and I think if there were trace levels of clenbuterol in his system, then he can use the contaminated meat as an excuse. And again, he'll have experts uh, backing up what he's saying. He will have, by, by April 10th, I'm assuming he will have passed seven, eight, nine, ten follow-up tests from Nevada. So you know, it happened so far in advance of the fight, a full two and a half months in advance when he tested positive twice, that if he comes back and he, and he tests clean, you know, upwards of a dozen times, I don't really see any reason why they would not move forward with the fight. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of people that are very quick to jump on Canelo. Uh, I think his image has taken a little bit of a beating here. And it, so I'm just looking for if you want to be pro Canelo. And he says that, you know, it's maybe, you know, the trace, it's the meat or it's the trace amounts. Like what could be Canelo's argument here? Well, again, the, the 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 contaminated meat issue in Mexico is real. Now, if you listen to Abel Sanchez, he says, well, he makes a valid point that uh, his co-trainer is a butcher <laughs> and, and would obviously stay away from contaminated meat. He's Only a multimillionaire. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, you know, they would know where to get the finest meats in Mexico. He's obviously a multimillionaire. He's not buying his meat at a uh, some unclean market somewhere in a in a in a third world country you know the guy has money to buy quality meat so you know i understand the skepticism from the other side um at the same time if it's a plausible excuse and he passes multiple tests moving forward and again gennady golovkin for all of his criticism does not want to walk away from an eight-figure payday. Yeah. So I really can't see anything stopping the fight from moving forward. Speaking of of Golovkin, is this like a new Triple G we're seeing here? He's gone completely rogue. He's calling judges terrorists. He's He is uh, you know, saying that Canelo is a cheater. He's saying Oscar De La Hoya is a cheater. He's calling him an extra boxer, saying he's on the meet. You know, I, this is a totally different uh, Gennady Golovkin that we're seeing. You know, is this something that we're is going to be moving forward, or what do you make of this uh, new Gennady Golovkin, who's maybe speaking his mind a little more? Well, as a reporter, Dan, I want to thank him. <laughs> I couldn't thank him enough for for creating this uh, beyond interesting storyline as the fight approaches. Because honestly, the promotion was a little dull up to this point. Um, not that you want someone to test positive for PEDs, but there wasn't much juice, I guess you could say, uh, leading up to the second fight. So 
this has certainly added that element to it. And, you know, a reporter myself and many other reporters had asked for the last four or five years to have Gennady Golovkin speak in Russian and have it translated because we thought we would get more genuine answers from him. And it just hasn't happened until recently. And he did all of these interviews last week in Russian. And obviously it was as raw as he possibly could be. I actually thought he went a little overboard on yeah. some of the comments. Only judges made. terrorists. I mean, Come on, man. Th- yeah, that's a bit of a sh- a bit of a stretch. Adelaide judge might not be a consistent judge or a good judge, but right. a terrorist is a it's quite a reach. So he did go overboard, like I said. But again, it's creating interest in the rematch, um, and, and I and that can't that can't hurt business in any way, shape, or form. I just think also for Gennady Golovkin, it's good for people to see, you know, genuine answers from him instead of this. It, his public persona is, it, you know, it, it endeared him to people for sure. At the same time, you can't keep saying, oh, he's a good boy and all that kind of stuff for, for five or six years without people getting tired of it. At some exactly. Point. You're, you're absolutely right. And and another thing that I um, thought about with, with Triple G is, you know, this is a guy that has done everything his promoter has asked for him. He didn't get a major TV deal, which he should have, until his early 30s. He's played ball. He's, uh, you know, he's come up with these, these, these sayings now that we all love. And now he won this first fight in his eyes and a lot of uh, many other people's eyes. You get, you get the sense that Triple G is kind of fed up here and he knows that the heat is on Canelo and he knows that he's maybe more popular uh, uh, than Canelo. And now if I come out here and I say what everyone's thinking, I can even get more fans on my side. I think that's really the way he approached it, Dan, because if you're him, you have to be so frustrated at this point. You know that you won the first fight. You got screwed on the scorecards and you had to settle for a draw. That clearly affects his payday for the second fight. So he's already affected your money. And you see that he's get, in your opinion, is getting, or in, in Triple G's opinion, is getting preferential treatment from the judges, from the commission. Uh, and, and you see it happening again. I think that frustration just really boiled over for him, particularly after, remember, assuming Gennady Golovkin is clean. And I think the way he's gone bananas about this whole thing I, I, I guess we would have to assume he's clean at this point I, although that's not a safe assumption with any fighter in right. this day and age but just say for you know he is a clean fighter and he's done everything the right way and then you see a guy who's been getting all this preferential treatment and you know you won the first fight and you got jobbed on the scorecards and now you have to deal with this and the, and the guy might be cheating too it, yeah I could totally see that frustration just boiling over for a guy who like you said has always done the right thing always gone about things professionally and done things the right way. I could completely see that see that getting to him the way that it did. All right, Keith, give us a, uh, a percentage that this fight uh, does not happen. Does not happen? Zero yes. percent. <laughs> there it is. I'm going to say maybe tw- maybe 10. Maybe... Look, I, I guess, all right, I'll, I'll give you 1%. <laughs> There's always a possibility they are. Look, the one thing that obviously would change everything here, Dan, and I've been talking to people about this over the last week or so, is if anything irregular pops up in one of Canelo's follow-up tests. Of course, the fight is going to be postponed, obviously. But short of that, I just don't see them with all this money at stake and it being so close to the fight that they would postpone the fight. Before we let you go, we got to talk about the big heavyweight matchup this weekend in uh, Cardiff, Wales. Anthony Joshua, who I think now is the definitive face of boxing, given everything Canelo is going through, taking on Joseph Parker. Unification bout. Going to have all the eyeballs. Boxing world will, will, will uh, turn to this fight. What are your thoughts on uh, Joshua Parker? First of all, Anthony Joshua is a phenomenon like we've never seen before. To to draw 90,000 people and now 78,000 plus for three straight fights is is nothing short of amazing, especially considering his Joseph Parker and uh, Carlos Tackham are not exactly household names. It's it's nothing short of amazing. And 
uh, really speaks to how huge boxing has become in, in the United Kingdom. But um, I, I do think that Joseph Parker will win this fight. I mean, I, I, excuse me, Anthony Joshua will win this fight. Uh, wait, 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 you're on the record now. Joseph Parker, Keith Dyson is going to win. <laughs> yeah, that was not a Freudian slip. But um, I, I do think that Anthony Joshua will win the fight and win it convincingly. Although I could see it going the distance. You know, Joseph Parker has shown a good chin throughout his career so far has not obviously fought the type of puncher that Anthony Joshua is, but he has shown a good chin. He's a big, durable guy. He can box a little bit. Um, but, you know, the way he struggled against Huey Fury and the way he struggled in the fight where he won the title against Andrew Ruiz, I just can't see him beating, and that's why he's an 8 or 9 to 1 underdog, of course, but uh, I just can't see him beating Anthony Joshua. Um, and I think I, I could see Joshua's knockout streak ending here, but I do think he'll either win by late stoppage or uh, or a 12-round decision. And then, you know, who knows what happens from there. We know what we all want, obviously, is the Deontay Wilder-Anthony Joshua fight. I think we'll have to wait quite some time for that to happen. Yeah, I'm excited for this fight. And you bring up the fact that uh, Joshua can basically fight me or you, and he will draw 80,000 fans, and the whole country will be tuning in. Do you think that's going to prevent him from the the, uh, the Wilder fight because there's a rumor out there that uh, August 28th, the Barclays is on hold uh, for Joshua Miller. Uh, you, we know that Deontay Wilder is going to be ringside doing some commentating for Sky Sports. What's your uh, your prediction here for when we finally see uh, Deontay Wilder versus Anthony Joshua? Well, I think you're right, Dan. We will see, assuming Jarrell Miller wins on April 28th at Barclays Center, uh, I, I think we will see Anthony Joshua against Darrell Miller at Barclays Center in August, and then that will leave Deontay Wilder. He, If they make Dillian White his mandatory challenger, he'll fight uh, Dillian White next, maybe even in the U.K. if they offer him enough money, even though he has been resistant to that so far. If they offer him 5 or $6 million to go there to fight a guy that he should handle right. you know, pretty convincingly, I think he would do that. Uh, there's also the possibility, if they don't name Dillian White his mandatory challenger, that he could take an optional defense against Dominic Brazil, who's ranked number two. And they have this history between right. them because they had this fight in the lobby of the hotel last year. <laughs> he does not um, like so him. Does not like Dominic Brazil. So, uh, and Dominic Brazil actually sued him after that incident. Yeah. So there, there's some history there between those two guys. Uh, and obviously Brazil has only lost to Anthony Joshua. He's due an optional defense because he just made his mandatory defense two fights ago against um, uh Berman Stavern, which mm -hmm. was an absurd fight. That was course, assault. But... We watched an assault <laughs> at the Barclays Center that night. Somehow I have a feeling. But by the way, Berman Stavern is still ranked by the WBC. He's ranked 15th after that massive. Oh, he dropped 13 spots? 14. Yeah, he dropped to uh, to number 15. So wow. it's wow. always possible that he'll pop up in the mandatory spot again, Jeez. obviously. But uh, <laughs> but I do think, like I said, he'll, he'll either fight. It's also possible that – the WBC can order an elimination match between Dillian White and Dominic Brazil. And if they do that, then that might leave uh, Deontay Wilder to make an optional defense against someone else. But right. I think it would be one of those two guys based on how the scenario plays out. And then hopefully we get to that fight early in 2019. Yeah. But I, I honestly, Dan, I could see each of them, assuming Joshua wins on Saturday, each of them fighting two more times before Jeez. they fight each other. Oh, man. I mean, we've seen this in boxing. We know how the business works. You know how the business works. It's not the craziest thing. The safest bet might be a 2019, but a lot of things going on in the world of boxing. Canelo, Triple G, the saga plays out. April 10th, we'll hear about that. This weekend, we see Anthony Joshua back in the ring. Will we see Deontay Wilder hop in the ring with him uh, to, you know, jaw at him? We'll have to tune in and see. Keith Eidick, continue doing great work uh, for boxing. Steve, appreciate you coming on, joining us here on Inside Boxing Live. 
Hey, Dan, I appreciate the kind words. I appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks, man. Thanks. There he is. Keith Eidick, boxing scene, has some interesting things to say about the Triple G Canelo hearing. He gives it a 0% chance of the fight not happening. Uh, I mean, I tend to agree with him. Too much money on the line. Uh, we'll see. We see a different uh, Triple G here. We're seeing a Triple G who's, when he speaks in Russian, is a lot more, uh, uh, what's the word here, he, dynamic. And he will let you know exactly what he's thinking. He won't use these uh, canned you know, responses like good boy and all that. And then the heavyweight division starting to uh, really heat up. Josh will be back in the ring this weekend. So special thanks to Keith Eidick joining us uh, from uh, BoxingScene.com. Oh, wow. Look at this. Yeah. Wow. Looking at Twitter right now, and uh, we do this every week on Inside Boxing Live. It's Twitter hitters. Uh, I don't know if it's just because we started this segment that I'm noticing it more, or boxers have a lot more time on their hands, or it's a combination of all that, because lately everyone's just been calling each other out. Uh, these fighters are bored, or they're, they're hearing, or I think it's the fans are tweeting at the fighters, and they're becoming more aware of what other fighters are saying. They don't want to back down. So then they get on Twitter. They start spouting off. Our first one here this week comes from Terrence Crawford. Uh, apparently something happened with him and Mikey Garcia. Uh, didn't even know this. But Mikey Garcia, after Jeff Horn boxer, you can come get this work. And I bet that you'll be doing the running. I don't know what the context is behind that. <laughs> but then he moved on from that tweet. And he added a little more to it, so we got a little better understanding of what exactly Terrence Crawford was talking about when he said, LOL, Mikey Garcia, you funny. That's kind of redundant, but anyway. You say, all I did was run from you when we fought. You got the tape when we fought. Put it out there so everybody can see how I ran upside your head. Hashtag facts. So obviously, Terrence Crawford and Mikey Garcia sparred maybe a few years back. Uh, Mikey Garcia must have said something like, I whipped his ass. And then Terrence Crawford got wind of it. Gets on Twitter, calls him out, and here we are today. Moving forward here, Jose Ramirez, coming off of his uh, win over Imam, says, I signed, or the context behind this is that the pro-grace fight is waiting in the balance. Bob Arum wants uh, them to both take interim fights. Jose Ramirez takes the Twitter and, lets, and settles the score a little bit here. I signed up. To fight the best to become the best. I fear no one. We know Pro Guy is waiting. No, no, I don't know what I'm saying here. We know Pro Guy should be next, and I'm willing to take on the challenge that we both deserve. I will rest and enjoy my moment for a couple of weeks and then start where I left off. Hashtag boxing. Now, this is interesting because a lot of the times these fighters do this where, you know, they say they want to fight who's next. You know, they say they want to fight, I'll take on anybody. I'll take on, you heard it from Anthony Joshua at the highest level. I'll fight Wilder next. You know, they say what you want to hear. They say what you think the fans want to hear. You know, he can tweet everything he wants. But Bob Arum comes calling and says, listen, you're not fighting Pro Gray next. You're fighting, you know, Joe Schmo in Tucson, Arizona, or where your last fight was when you got in Fresno. Sorry, thanks, Bob. In Fresno, where you had a huge crowd, and we're going to milk this a little more. All right, it's nice that you tweeted that, but you know I'm Bob Barham. I call the shots. I sign the checks. So we see this a lot with fighters. I like that their mentality is they want to fight the best, but it's a business. They know where their money's coming from. They know, you know, they know where the where the, the checks are cashed. So shout out to Jose Ramirez for, you know, wanting to fight the best and wanting to fight the pro and Regis Progre next. But you know, we all know it's not going to happen next, or at least we don't think so. 
Moving forward, Donald Trump. Have you heard of him? He is our 45th president, and he takes to Twitter a lot. But this is the first time he kind of referenced boxing, so here, therefore it ends up in this week's Twitter hitters. Donald J. Trump tweets. This probably came from the toilet. Crazy Joe Biden is trying to act like a tough guy. Actually, he is weak, both mentally and physically. And yet he threatens me for the second time with physical assault. He doesn't know me, but he will go down fast and hard, crying all the way. Don't threaten people, Joe. I mean, this was a tweet in a series of many tweets this last week from the president that kind of started an uproar. Um, Of course, we know that him and Joe Biden don't get along. They're constantly going at each other. Two 70-year-old men threatening to fight each other. This is where we are in America currently. But (laughs) Donald Trump versus Joe Biden... It got the boxing world buzzing. You know, you saw a lot of fighters, you saw a lot of uh, media members, you saw a lot of fight fans tweeting, you know, the tail the tapes start rolling out on the on the TV shows. You see, you know, who would win in a fight. You start dreaming up a card, who would fight on the undercard. You know, maybe Kathy Griffin somehow gets involved. There are a ton of possibilities here. Obviously, we don't think this fight is going to happen unless Dave Portnoy, El Prez, you're listening and you want to put this on Rough and Rowdy 4. I know you got another event coming up. Trump versus Biden. Can you pony up the money? Put this on rough and rowdy. I think you got a hit on your hands. But you know, Donald Trump, Joe Biden is a is a fight that I don't think is going away anytime soon. But Donald Trump lets it be known that he would go down fast and hard, crying all the way. Uh, moving forward here, Lennox Lewis. When Lennox Lewis isn't tweeting at Showtime, he is uh, supporting his fellow countrymen. A uh, standout, Brixton. Shout out to Dillian White on a spectacular win. With the hashtag white brown. Uh, so Lennox Lewis has time to tweet, but he doesn't have time to answer any of my direct messages because I've been hounding him for the last two weeks to c- come here on Inside Boxing Live. So if you're watching this right now, tweet at Lennox Lewis to get on Inside Boxing Live. I want to talk to Lennox Lewis. We have a lot to talk about. The heavyweight division's on fire right now. We can get his thoughts on the Showtime uh, disrespect. They put respect on his name. They did not do that. Oh, wow. We're moving forward here. And (laughs) Saturday night, we had a nice treat between uh, Gervonta Davis and Jamal Charlo. They must have been bored. They must have been a lot of time on their hands. That's a common theme here with Twitter hitters. And this went off the rails fast. These two, I just picture these two fighters sitting there on their couches, just tweeting back and forth, just waiting for the next notification to pop up. It's just like, you know, you, you do this as teenagers. You do this, and now. Fighters at the highest level. But Javante Davis tweets, someone, I guess Hitman Boxing brought it to his attention. You peeped what he said on his IG Live, talking about Jamal Charlo. I think he was drunk. That's when Javante Davis says, yeah, him and his brother are on coke. <laughs> he says it so matter-of-factly. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I saw it. Yeah, he's on coke. And then he tweets even further, he, just to follow up on that. He says, you shouldn't be doing coke a couple weeks before a fight. It's very riveting insight from Shavante Davis, and I tend to agree. You probably should lay off Coke, the booger sugar, before you get into the ring. And then Jamal Charlo got wind of it, of course, and uh, sets him, gives him a little threat. I know a lot of these fighters hang out in that back area at Barclays. Say no more. See y'all in Brooklyn. Uh, bet. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but don't let the hate get your ass whoop on sight. And if you know anything about the Barclays Center is 
they bring all these fighters in. Showtime too. They bring all these fighters in. They all hang out. They all mill around the the back uh, lobby or the back uh, hallway of the Barclays Center. A lot goes down in those in those back rooms. I love being back there. Uh, when I do the copy box in between fights or before the fights start, I go back there. I mill around. I see who's talking to who. Get you know get some insights for you so I can bring you some information here on the show. Last time, Danny Jacobs just happened to be walking by when Jamal Charlo was holding a, a little impromptu press conference, and then we saw some an explosion there. We saw some great stuff between Danny Jacobs and Jamal Charlo. So I have a feeling we might see some more fireworks at the Barclays Center. When Jamal Charlo is there with his brother, they run around, they go crazy, they go clubbing, they lose their money, they get jewelry stolen. The Charlo brothers, tell you what, love them or hate them, they're making a name for themselves here uh, in Baca. We have one more, Nick? Yeah, we have one more. That was, yeah, Javante Davis had to then respond to the threat. And he said, uh, you lay a finger on me, you won't box a day in your life. Take this how you want it. Interesting. Very interesting. That's a threat. You know, I've seen my fair share of threats. That is a threat online. We don't have the last one. I'm pretty sure that Charlo tried to squash it and said, yo, I respect your career. You know, you're a good fighter. You know, you're taking this a little too far. You know, just don't keep my name out of your mouth or some stuff like that. You know, it's just nonsense. It's all nonsense. These guys don't. The biggest thing is they don't have anyone kind of ruling over them. You know, it's not like in team sports where the where the owner or you know, see with Odell Beckham, where the owner steps in and goes, enough. Or the general manager, manager says, no more tweeting. Like, who is telling Javante Davis and Jamal Charles that they, have, they can't tweet anymore? It's not, is Al Heyman calling them up? No, they love this stuff. It's all promotion. This is boxing. This is why boxing Twitter remains undefeated and some of the best entertainment for us boxing fans. This has been this week's Twitter Hitters. All right, that's a wrap for episode number 14 of Inside Boxing Live. We have to thank our guests, Keith Eidick of BoxingScene.com and Jim Lampley, HBO Boxing. Of course, upcoming this week, the big fight in the heavyweight division, Joseph Parker taking on Anthony Joshua, the unification bout in the heavyweight division. Be sure to check out our CompuBox Twitter page. We'll have updates, stats, analysis, all that great stuff. And go to iTunes, search in Inside Boxing Live. Leave us a five-star review and a rating. It helps us keep the lights on. We'll see you next time here from Inside Boxing Live.